Come follow us on our journey to get a low-budget DIY feature film from script to screen and beyond. And beyond. Nobody, nobody knows who we are. <laughs> Look at yourselves, realistically, nobody's going to give you that money. Nobody. You don't know who the fuck you are. It's a complete risk. You are unknown. This is our first feature film, something we're going to do together. Uh, you're going to get it warts and all. For now, you're just some pair of idiots like everyone else. Never wait for permission. You just have to start. Give yourself something impossible to do and then just find the bloody way of making that thing happen. This is DIY Cinema Cult. Hello again, listeners. Um, oh. Hello, Aaron. How are you? Hello, Mark. Special, um, special episode today, I think. Special episode, yes. This marks our 30th episode now. What? And we were planning, weren't we, to get back into the shed for this one, for old time's sake. Yeah. But yeah, we, couldn't we, quite, we couldn't quite manage it with various um, cold and flu bugs going on. Yeah, uh, sad, yeah, sadly, my lot are all kind of a bit ill and just in the run up to Christmas, it felt a bit of a risk to uh, yeah. suddenly all be sitting inside my, my studio. But it has an air of the first episode in here, partly because there's a load of junk in here, but, but also because it's snowy outside. And if you remember back all those centuries yes. ago, the first ever episode, uh, we had snow outside, so it, bizarrely we've got snow again today. So there we go, the synchronicity going on. Yeah, I was going to say, if we did manage to make it round, if I did manage to join you in the shed, it would have been so reminiscent of that first recording session where we were yeah. almost snowed into your shed. And I mean, let's face it, it only happens like once a year, if that, doesn't it? Yeah. So, uh, so there you go. I think there's that some sort of cosmic uh, connection to. I, uh, I feel like we were keeping our ice and and our drinks chilled in snow outside of yeah. the door on the first episode. Yeah, yeah, we definitely were. <laughs> I seem to remember because we had we had all of the bits and bobs, didn't we? We had the ice bucket. We yeah. had the um, we had the vermouth. We had the special gin, uh, and uh, I thought we would be able to do that today as well. But I have I have had a bit of a go. I have got. Good on uh, you. A Tanqueray, a London gin. Very nice London gin. They, yep. they haven't quite yet sponsored our podcast, have they? We thought Still that by now... Still waiting to hear from Tanqueray. Still waiting yeah. to hear from Gordon's. Uh, but mean, they'll be any on of the them. line. Any, any, any of them would do, really. Anything that's just a sort of A sort of gin. But, uh, but what, how are you doing on the kind of celebratory uh, gin front? I'm doing well. I've gone full on louis martini oh i think i think i'm gonna have a little sip too i've, I've only i've just got a gnt i think because i'm feeling like there's a cold coming but still we're there in spirit we're there you? you are definitely there in spirit let's do a cheers i'd say to happy, cheers. Cheers. happy 30th birthday happy 30th birthday yeah well i mean thir- not 30 years but 30 episodes <laughs> i'm actually trying to figure out what it is uh, because i have a feeling it was 2019 january which means it is getting on for well, so our first episode is in April 2020. That was launched. That was right. put out. Okay. But of course, we were we were recording for quite a while before that. I think we had like five yeah. episodes in the bag when we launched in 2020. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. I think we did our first episode in November. I think it was November, not January. So that right. was 2018. <gasps> oh my god! Which now is. Well, we're we just gone past November now, so that's it's yeah four years four, four years, years ago. Wow, there you go. So there you go. It's it is kind of an old time podcast now. Yeah, in yeah. Podcast world. It's fairly I, fairly old. I wonder, 
I wonder if the old recordings sound crackly now. <laughs> if we listen to them, they'll be like, what's that? Because suddenly it's like they're listening to old vinyl or something. You are listening to the debut feature film podcast. This is DIY Cinema Cult. Bring us up to date. How, what's been the news recently? Just so we can kind of... Uh, because uh, I can't quite remember the last one. I think it was a good couple of months ago. We haven't been quite regular recently, but um, no. what's been happening over the past few months? Because there's been some quite exciting developments with your film, hasn't there? Yeah, so I think our last couple of episodes were the ones that we launched along with the Kickstarter for Old Man. So yeah, yeah. big news there being that we we did make our, our, our goal. Woo! which is fantastic thanks to you as well for all your help on that so we yeah. did we did make our goal and the next steps are now that we are planning shoots for end of jan and beginning or mid february amazing um so we're just gearing up to shoot again basically is what fantastic. we're doing fantastic so exciting get all our ducks in the row you know as you say just to kind of make sure that those shoots go without much of a hitch and we can get ever closer that, that just a little bit closer to getting a finished a finished film and, and have you solved your logistics issues? So have you have you got your casting sorted out? Because obviously you needed to cast a couple of people, I think, for this Yes, one. I think we're about, out of, the, out of the remaining people we needed to cast, we've probably got about half of them. So we still have a couple of people to cast. Mm -hmm. Locations as well is sorting itself out. We've wrecked a great location, me and Rami, the other day, which we're really happy with, which we'll be shooting in in February. The other locations are kind of people, you know, flats and houses of people that we know. So yeah, we're, get, we're getting there. We're getting there. Amazing. We're slowly, slowly getting there. And how about you? Yeah, so I'm sort of going through a kind of technical phase we, we had mm. a couple of interesting things happen recently. Um, we obviously we're still at this stage where we need a bit of money for uh, licenses um, for music and for archives. So mm. that, that's a two stage process. The first set of uh, funding we probably need is just for film festivals for a year. Um, and so we're some way off that and then obviously we're, we're even further away from worldwide in perpetuity licensing that's a big step right. uh and we did pitch for some money from a kind of public body but got a knockback on that so there you go let's it's diy all the way they, they we we made an attempt to see if we could get some public money but that didn't happen in the meantime what we've done is uh we've done another one of our work in progress screenings in amsterdam which nice. was fantastic uh we've been offered a great deal of uh, music festivals but sadly again at the moment we just and and film festivals we just can't say yes and it's a kind mm. of a frustrating experience you know because we could have been in portugal we could have been in, in berlin all sorts of things going on but we, we did do this kind of in-person uh work in progress type screening uh in amsterdam which was which was really fun spent a mm. uh, weekend in Amsterdam a couple of weeks ago. Amazing response. Uh, first time, obviously, we've shown it to anybody outside of the UK. And it was very interesting watching a film that you know is about something that starts in the UK, obviously kind of ends around the world. Just the feeling of, oh, is this landing? Do they? Mm. Does this make any sense? You know, does the audience have any idea what a new age traveller is? You know, do even some of them kind of know what, where rave music came from. I mean, yes, yeah. so many things you suddenly think, wow, 
would you tell this story differently if you knew that this was your primary audience? Well, you would, you know, mm. uh, but but everybody seemed to suggest they, uh, you know, all the audience members seemed to really enjoy it. And I got a lot of interest afterwards, people talking to me about the film, maybe talking to me about screening elsewhere. A really positive uh, experience. And obviously, you know, lovely to wander around Amsterdam for a weekend is always a fun thing to do. But now we're in this sort of technical phase, which is, um, you know, to go into some technical details, we've kind of got it out of of uh, Adobe Premiere and now into da, da Vinci Resolve. Right, so right. Uh, that still means we can still edit, but it means we can really look at the whole uh, film for the first time on one timeline. Oh, great, great. Because, uh, you know, Adobe Premiere was in a way we sort of decided to, to, to use Premiere because all the editors that we that we were using, um, you know, used Premiere, but but they didn't use other things. I st- it started its life actually in Final Cut Pro and then we moved to, to Premiere ah. because so I could work with other editors in Premiere uh, using this sort of production feature, but now it's kind of moved into DaVinci Resolve, which which is an interesting process because you've got to go through and fix a load of stuff that doesn't quite translate. Uh, DaVinci Resolve just feels really fast, and you know, obviously, it's great for color correcting and mm-hmm. and and scaling footage up, which we've got to do a lot of because we've got a lot a of lot. yeah a lot of yeah a lot of low yeah. res archive and then you you know it's got great tools for sort of adding grain and mm. um and you know it, and it's also got good audio tools so um so yeah i'm in this sort of technical phase of 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 everything being on one timeline for the first time rather than broken up into reels i'm also going through and outputting reports and i don't know if you know our listeners would be interested in this sort of technical detail but when you have to um clear footage and archive and music what you have to do is you have to output a report mm-hmm. of everything that's in your film i mean yeah. every frame has to be documented you have mm-hmm. to tell uh you know uh, uh archive libraries or music uh uh supervisors every frame when it comes in when it goes mm-hmm. out how long it's f- on there how um who is the uh, license holder of that thing. So it's a very sort of technical bit. And basically I'm outputting loads of spreadsheets, which says everything on this track V3 is Mm. all the commercial archive and this, and then on in those spreadsheets going through and tagging each clip uh, as Mm. to who owns the copyright, who is the copyright holder. So yeah, it's a really fiddly phase, you know, and then we're also, mulling uh the process of going through a sales agent as well which is which has just recently come up which uh could be really good uh but we're just figuring out what's the best for the film which is um uh, it's it's a tricky thing again it's it's learning on the job you know mm. should you use a sales a sales agent before you've got to festivals should you wait till after you've done festivals it's you're really learning as you go with things like this and uh yeah there's no guidelines. There's no uh, guidebook to tell you this is the what you should do because it's. I think it's on a project by project basis. Yeah. 
So yeah, things definitely going, but I don't feel like I'm in the creative bit. I'm in the really sludgy, tricky bit at the end. There is that end bit that does last, seemingly last quite a long time. I remember going through it to a much lesser extent than you're going through now, but with the chewing gum man and it was filling out, it is lots of spreadsheets, lots of admin and getting the music exactly frame perfect, how long it's on for. And luckily for me, I had music written for it. So it was a lot more of a simpler affair. But it was just organizing, you know, just so that they know the guys knew because it was going to be broadcast on Sky. So, mm. you know, just knowing how much PRS the, the musicians were going to get, that kind of thing. It just all has to be on an official level. You know, it has to be to, yeah. the, to the frame. So, and, you know, transcribing your thing oh, as well. God, oh, yeah. If we were big famous film directors, this would all be done by a department of some production company or have yeah. you or distribution company. But because we're not, um, it all falls down to us and we're the ones having to do all of this yeah. legwork I mean, at the end. Absolutely. And I mean, it's a, it's, it's great in some ways that, you know, something like DaVinci Resolve can now work on my laptop and costs, you know, 260 quid or whatever it costs. And I got a little box with some cool buttons on it as well. So, and you can export a DCP from it and you can mm. do all the things that you you would imagine that you need to do uh, that would have cost us, you know, 700 pounds an hour back in the old days, you know. Yeah. I mean, I don't have that much experience with DaVinci Resolve. I do know that I remember Luke, who was doing the DIT on the old man, he was putting he was putting all of our rushes into DaVinci, into a DaVinci mm. project so we could just watch them. But I've never, because I don't have DaVinci, I never mm. used that project. I just went straight back to the rushes and brought it into Premiere. I'm at the kind of start of that process you're going through now because I'm mm. starting to work with an editor on the old man and we are setting ourselves up in premiere so mm. we're kind of right at the very beginning of that so um yeah I'm interested to hear about how you do you know your transfer to da Vinci and the benefits of that yeah it's we haven't really done a lot of tech chat on this uh this podcast no. so, um you know definitely as a DIY filmmaker it's something that you do need to get a grip of because mm. in the end you can choose to rely on other people um and then you've got to pay or you've got to mm. you've got to put call in a lot of favors but it's all there for you now and youtube is full of tutorials or you you know you can pay for very affordable tutorial series and and learn everything of this of this sort of software now and i think there's a certain amount of you know things sort of moved away from the facilities houses into you know more and more at home and you can do more and more and more at home yeah um but there's always that kind of scary bit at the end which is you know is this legal do the picture does the picture clip you know do you have the audio set at the right point all this stuff you know which is kind of in a way uh feels very far kind of out of reach for a lot of people but but again, now it is sort of within a YouTube uh, tutorial somewhere mm. to explain exactly what that means, you know, as in mm. what what plugin do you need to put where to make sure that the sound doesn't go above a certain level and doesn't go below a certain level, which means that it would be great on um, on cinema speakers or it would be great on a TV or it would be great for streaming services. More and more and more, that is becoming something that can be done, um, you know, on a desktop. And, you know, my, mm. I'm using a laptop and a second screen. Um, so, you know, I'm hoping that 
I don't have to do it all myself, you know, as in, you know, there's a certain amount of um, a grown up with a lab coat at some point has checked yeah. that it's not a disaster and that it's not going to look terrible when it goes out, wherever it goes out on cinemas or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you're right. In terms of software, it is all becoming more desktop and taken out of the post houses. I guess mm. there's certain elements that still would be really, really useful to have, which are maybe slightly still out of people's reach, which would be things like broadcast monitors, which are still, you know, prohibitively expensive if you yeah. want to try and get your hands on one thousands of pounds worth of TV set, basically, but give you a really, really true representation of how, you know, the quality of of your of your final film and how it will be broadcast. Because I'm I remember, I think I mentioned on the podcast before, I remember doing the DCP transfer for the chewing gum man and was delighted about how that looked on cinema screens and just thought that, you know, I panicked so much about that because I wasn't sure how it was going to um, uh, transfer uh, yeah. just because I wasn't experienced in doing it. It was my first one I'd ever done. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd never outputted anything for a cinema screen from my laptop or was, wasn't a laptop for my desktop computer before. And it worked like a dream. But then mm. the flip side was, I remember when the film broadcast on Sky, I was a bit horrified about how crushed the blacks look. And I was like, oh my God, oh. it doesn't look anything like the file I sent. But that's because, you know, you're, I'm working off Apple monitors, uh, you know, I'm rendering in a, to a certain codec. It's hard to have that confidence when you're sending stuff to broadcasters that you're really going to get a true, true representation of your film. It's funny, all of that, you know, you're using Apple monitor stuff um, is in generally people are working on a Mac and mm. it kind of means, you know, if you stay within the Mac-iverse, it's generally quite trustworthy. And yes. they've obviously got all this clever software to kind of correct the colors so that it looks exactly as it should do. But there is this uh, issue and there's always been this issue. We're getting quite technical today, aren't we? We are. Uh, it's a very technical episode today. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there is this issue that when you export from something like Premiere, the colors just look different. They shouldn't. Mm. They, they, look, they look like they would be fine if you put them on TV, yeah. but they're not on a monitor as in on a computer monitor right and it's a known issue and it's literally there are hacks and luts and what have you to fix that issue and um it's the same in resolve but resolve has a specific mode you can do that's called uh, rec 709a which basically right. makes it a bit more like the apple verse mm. um so you can look at it on an apple monitor and you know that that means that when you output it it's going to look perfect in whatever form it is so it's again it's one of these things where the DIY filmmaker has to sort of navigate this because largely we will be making our films on a laptop we will be making films on a on an iMac at home because that's just the nature of it and the, the now it could well be that that always goes through uh somebody with a lab coat to kind of make sure that it goes out to broadcast in the best possible way but um increasingly there are, you know, distribution methods, which mean that from your laptop to Amazon and people watching it at home on their TV is an absolute reality. Yeah. And in fact, more and more, you know, there are these distribution methods, self-distribution methods where you've made a film, it's edited and finished on a computer at home, it's mixed on a computer at home, potentially, yeah. And then it goes onto Amazon's servers or uh, Apple's servers for iTunes release. And then people were watching it at 
on a TV at home. Yeah, so yeah. that 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 sort of um, reality is here, and more and more that will be the case because the traditional modes of distribution are uh, slow and expensive. Uh, and if you can find a way to let everyone know about your film uh, through, you know, clever marketing, social media, whatever that is, then there's a real way of um, uh, of getting your film out there with, outside of all the traditional models, distinction between the, the sort of place where it's made and the place where it's consumed is uh, or the the steps that it's taken from mm. get from get to one to the other is much much less than it ever used to be. Yeah, because I, I do remember working at the BBC and you'd have to send a piece of animation or film that you've made, title sequence, what have you, ident, off to be tested, and it will come often come back as it, the colours were illegal or the cut rate was illegal or what have you, and it would be so annoying. But at least you felt safe in the fact that mum and dad were looking at it and checking yeah. that it's okay. And I mean, of course, what you know, all the, the you can think of all of the the potential stumbling blocks is in you know my telly's about. 12 years old, the telly I've got in the living room. And it's got all these funny modes you accidentally press and suddenly everything's really contrasty or mm. it's really flat or it, it it looks kind of super saturated or whatever. So in some ways, you know, you've got to also navigate all of that as in you're delivering something that's then got to look okay, even if someone's pressed the wrong button on their yeah. telly and they've, you know, screwed up the image because it's got a kind of, be uh, neutral enough so that it, it won't look really shit should someone press the wrong button yeah. uh, on their telly, which obviously a lot of people do. Yeah. And I remember when I started working in TV, a lot of the old guys would say, when I used to worry about, because I was coming out of branding as well, so I was always worried mm. about colours and, you know, the exact colour, you know, reference numbers yeah, yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And they kind of laugh and say, look, it doesn't, you know, Telly doesn't work as well as you really think it does. You know, no, it telly, doesn't, no. telly doesn't feed out a universally acceptable, identical image to the entire country or world. It's yeah. different on every TV set. <laughs> so it yeah, is. you do you do have to find a kind of, uh, you know, unif you have to find the kind of middle grounds. So like you say, your image is gonna t isn't gonna look awful <laughs> totally. on grandma's TV. You know, yeah. <laughs> And I mean, it, in in the old days with audio, it used to be that you uh, you know studios would often have multiple sets of speakers. Yeah. So you'd have one that would be you know yeah everything sounds amazing on these speakers. Yeah. And then you'd have your very neutral speakers that would be like you know if it sounds good on these neutral speakers, it will sound good in anything. And then you know my friend uh, used to work in a studio, and they used to have something they'd call the shit box. <laughs> and they they put it on the shit box, and it would sound you know like a white van driver uh, <laughs> is, is the sort of speakers and his kind of you know van because the radio so it's designed to sound as shit as possible, so that if it sounded good on there, then it was going to be amazing everywhere else. Yeah. You know, we've got very technical, haven't we? Today? We have got so technical <laughs> on our thirtieth episode. <laughs> we've had some. I've I've took a little note of some some of our guests along the way in our last thirty yeah. episodes. In our yeah, last four great. years, we've had Prano Bailey Bond, Mark Brown, Hadia Jake, Luca Luca Cesari. Yeah. David Cecil, Jamie Ross Hume, Rich Glover and Jonathan Broke, and yeah. Rami, our DOP, Rami Batoli. 
So we've had some lovely guests along the way, and, and we and have. It, it often looks like when I look at the the stats on our uh, podcast, um, it's it's always those ones that get the most uh, listens. I don't know what that says about me and you, Aaron. People <laughs> when other people are involved. Yeah, I, I was funny enough. I was in touch with Jamie actually and said, "Oh, we might be doing a podcast next week. You up for it?" And ah. uh, he was quite keen. You know. Yes, I have spoken to him about getting him back now that his film is finished. Yeah. So I know he he's been on quite a roller coaster ride with his film. So it would be great to get him on just to have a bit of a roundup. Absolutely. I mean, uh, well, sort of similar to me, but probably a few steps ahead. He's sort of finished his mm. film, and um, it'd be great to hear where. He's at in terms of this side of the journey, which is, you know, the finishing, the grading, the mixing, but also the distribution. Because I think I think a lot of uh, indie filmmakers probably know that they've got a multi skill and mm. that, you know, they're, they're, they're happy to pick up a camera and shoot stuff. They, they probably write. They probably can get their way around an edit suite. So, you know, getting something that looks like a film is probably most indie filmmakers these days know that they can do that or they that's something that they should yeah. do but this this next bit getting it to into people's minds and lives and eyes mm. i think is the bit which uh remains still kind of very mysterious for for people and um you know uh, it'd be interesting to hear what jamie's up to in terms of that side of the story it would because he, um, yeah, exactly. That's exactly where he is right now, trying to get it out there. And um, yeah, and it's hard as well. It's like you know, I remember chatting to him about him. He's already struggling with film festivals, and uh, I was speaking to this other filmmaker online recently. He was struggling with getting his films out to film festivals. Festivals just sound like such an oversaturated marketplace for a want of a better word uh these these days i mean even more so when i was trying to get short films in um it just seems like now it's almost impossible unless the the stars align and your film kind of falls in line with their programming themes that they've picked out for that particular festival so mm-hmm. i know that jamie was having real problems with uh with that which seems like such a shame because it just makes you think just think of all the brilliant films that are out there that are missing their chances to get in front of festival audiences it feels like a real real shame i think it's i think it all comes down to we all want to have our films in the really big ones um and maybe that's just unrealistic you know we that we'd all like to be at sundance and berlin and toronto and all these big ones because we kind of feel like that's a shortcut maybe because there's so many films being made these days it's that's such an extremely crowded market that what you're you may be better off doing is focusing on the the highest profile ones that fit the niche that your film is in. So, you know, mine's a film, mine's a music-based film. So in a way, I think I've got a lot of attention already because of um, as a subject matter, which which kind of clicks with uh, people in that subgenre. Uh, I'm fairly sure that I would get, disapp- <laughs> get disappointed quite quick if I pinned all my hopes on the top five mm. documentary festivals in the world. I have pitched it to a Sheffield, so we shall see. But um, I, I think, you know, for me, it's like get to the niches, uh, get the best examples of the niche that your film lives within. And uh, and then maybe it will rise up beyond that. Aiming for the big four, five, ten, 
you know, you've really, really, really got to be sure mm. that your your film is something deeply, deeply special. From what I've learned through my own experience and through asking about and talking to people who are in those kind of festivals, those top ones aren't really ones, it's very rare that you submit and get accepted. It's often a case that you get invited to those Absolutely. festivals. I tell you who's done it quite well recently, I've noticed on social media, I've seen lots of updates from him. Uh, Mark Brown, who was on our podcast many uh, yeah. episodes ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he was about, I think when we were talking to him, he was about to shoot a film called Dead on the Vine, which he shot in a uh, um, a vineyard somewhere in, in the country. He looked absolutely beautiful. Um, but that film is finished and he's now been sticking it around screenings. I think they had their world premiere at a festival called Smod Castle Festival. Do you know this? No, no. So it's it's a festival set up by Kevin Smith of Clark's wow. fame. Yeah, cool. And of course, it's his festival. You go there. It's, it's a festival for indie feature filmmakers. He's kind of just giving back into the film industry. And right. I've noticed pictures on online. They picked up a couple of awards at the festival. I think they won Best Ensemble, uh, Best, maybe won Best Film. I'm not sure. But Kevin Smith's there presenting the awards. So it's a perfect kind of great boost for you as a filmmaker just lift your profile uh, and it's a festival that just his film f seemed to fit into perfectly and they've done yeah. really really well it's a really good example of being really wise with the festivals that you choose to apply to yeah I mean let's face it it's so <coughs> if you just kind of blanket put uh, all your film into all the big ones and then all sorts of others you're going to be broke really quickly because yeah. when you do these sort of uh submissions through you know film freeway and this kind of thing each time you get you know 50 quid at least is going yeah. out of your bank account and um there's there's uh i think that you're right as you said earlier on that to be honest, most of those festivals will have already invited a bunch of films. Yeah. So they're just filling the gaps with the people that submit. That's not to say that they're all like that or that uh, it's a totally cynical process, but there's no doubt that the predominant reason why film festivals are there is mm. because so many people submit, that gives them money and then yeah. they put the films that they want on and then obviously they can sell tickets to um to the films themselves so they've got to make their living and i would imagine that a good chunk of that living that they make covering their costs comes from lots of very hopeful filmmakers submitting their film with let's face it not a great chance there's no doubt that it's a lovely feeling going to film festivals and having my you know we've both done them and it's brilliant fun but you just have to be very discerning do some proper research as to what's going to fit your movie um most and don't be disappointed if you're not at sundance yeah berlin toronto and Cannes, because you know you'd be lucky frankly um yeah. Uh, it's very unlikely. Yeah, because I remember with uh, We Are What We Drink, my short film, I didn't realise how lucky I was with that festival run until 
my next film when, <laughs> when I thought, oh, well, you know, I'll apply for a couple of big ones and a couple, I'll have, I'll do like two or three big ones and then I'll do like a bunch of mid ones. And, and it just, I was sorely disappointed. And when I look back, it really was because we were on the, I was on the same funding scheme that you did Torquay on. So, cause I was mm. on the film London scheme you know the they they then select a program they have a film london night at the london film festival so i got on the selection i was lucky enough to be selected for that and then because i was at the london film festival that's what got me seattle because someone was there from seattle and then they yeah. called me up and programmed it and when i look back you know i was under the illusion that we are what we drink which is good enough to get into all of these on face value but when i really looked at it it was you know the top, my top 3 or 4 festivals that on that run were invites they weren't submissions at all so it is a tough game it's a very very tough game generally people should just not do too many but once you have one or two that tends to lead to more um it dominoes a bit doesn't it when, yeah. when you start getting a run in our mind back to our very first episode do you remember that i do remember us saying as we as we cheersed our first martinis we were like where are we going to be in it in in, the, in a couple of years time Some humble beginnings mark i know where... as this film is in a way an example of that from humble beginnings we're at the very early stage of the full production of the film. Where do you think we'll end up? And we'll look we'll look back from sipping we'll be sipping cocktails by a pool somewhere in Hollywood. You're going, remember when we were in your shed? Yeah, we were being we were being very, very uh, optimistic and dreamy there. But mm. where where do you think how far do you think we've come in these past four years and thirty episodes? What kind of journey do you think we've been on? I think it's the proof is is in the work really. Um mm. the journey has been from two people saying they wanted to make a film mm. to two people who are a long way to have nearly finishing two films <clears throat> and that's pretty good going because it takes a long time i mean yeah it's completely different and and unexpected but you know our dream at the start was very a simple one it was we were going to make a film and what's resulted is kind of beyond our expectations very different but brilliant yeah. all the same you know it's incredible that we've got Two, we're going to have two feature films at the end of this. Yeah, and 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 it's also opened other doors. So, mm. and this is why I think anyone listening has got to realise, you know, our our approach was never to sort of we weren't deciding that there's only one way this can go. It mm. was let's just start opening lots of doors and follow the doors that that seem to lead somewhere. Yeah. So, in some ways, doing the podcast was an opening the door exercise yeah. so we've opened the door 30 times yeah um and even having some people on the podcast has led to projects so you worked on jamie's film for example um yeah. david cecil and i have uh, been kind of talking about a project and that is just the process of just kind of being open and opening doors you're definitely bang on about the fact that this podcast was us activating ourselves and mm. putting ourselves in motion again in this chaos magic that we keep yeah. going back to but we do honestly very much believe in that you have to give yourself 
the motion, you have to propel yourself and you don't know where you're going at the start. You just have to set off because nothing happens unless you do take yeah. off. You do kind of take that first step. Never wait for permission. You just have to start. Mark and I have been following, how would you describe it, Mark? Chaos magic. Chaos magic. The chaos magic thing such a great analogy because it's like casting a spell. Mm. You're saying, you know, hubble bubble toil of toil and trouble. Mm. I'm a film director and I'm going to get into some trouble. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you're kind of going in that direction, and then you've decided that in some way, by making that intention, you're just heading in a direction. Yeah. Um, and uh, you're going to keep getting buffeted. You know, somebody described it really well as um, that, you know, you can decide that the weather will change your life or not, because yeah. you can keep going, okay, it's a bit rainy today. The films, I've got no budget to do this. Or, there's some clouds today. That means we can't film. We, mm. or, you know, elements in the world can constantly knock you off course. And you can either do one of two things. You can either say, no, I'm going to be King Canute and I'm just going to stay this course. And then you'll end up kind of, you know, being somewhat uh, disappointed or or buffeted. Yeah. Or you can go, OK, I'm just going to take this wind that's been caused by this bit of weather. I'm going to slightly nick around the side of this weather and I'm going to see where that takes me. But it's still forward. It's still in yeah. a direction it's still positive it's still creating something so it's never exactly what you thought but as long as the will of the the soul of the thing that you were after yeah. which is is still there i think that's the key yeah and also maybe creatively incorporate your obstructions in some mm. way so it yeah. becomes part of the like i remember going into the old man i was just thinking look let's say 30 percent of this is going to go to plan you know yeah and then the rest of it is going to be a bit wild and scary but then if you incorporate it into it becomes part of your film and part of the story and whatever the result is that's what the fit that's the film whatever happens to us on this little journey that's what the film is yeah and um you kind of have to be flexible in that way and have fluidity. Otherwise you're going to, you are going to get really upset and annoyed and scared and pissed off that things aren't going your way. Mm. But at the end of, you just have to know that at the end of that time period for good or bad, because we are on such limited budgets, you're going to have to stop at some point. Yeah. <laughs> it might yeah. only be a couple of days or a week and that's going to have to be it. So you might as well roll with it and make something with it. Yeah, I mean, you know, everybody uh, probably wishes they were David Fincher or they were they were Stanley Kubrick in that they had complete auteur control and they could do as many takes as they wanted and they could build London, they could build New York in in a studio and they could do all these things and that's that's fine but Let's face it, utterly unrealistic. It's, mm. it's not going to happen. That means you're going to be waiting around a long time till those conditions occur, and chances are they will never occur. So in the meantime, what are you going to do? Well, you've got to take one step in that direction, which mm. is do something, do what you can do. Um, may not be perfect. David Fincher didn't made loads of music videos originally. Stanley Kubrick 
did was a sort of jobbing director for a fair bit of his mm. early career. A photographer, still a photographer. photographer. Yeah, yeah. That's not, there's no one path. There is there is the mountain you're on, and there is mm. the top of that mountain, and there is you at the bottom of that mountain. There's going to be loads of tricky paths up that mountain. Mm. Some are going to take a long longer, but you're but as long as there is a top of the mountain mm. and there is you, then there is a relationship between your goal and the, yourself. So. You know, you can't be too precious. There's that's the thing. There's there's days where I think, God, I'm just sick of this process. It's such a tricky, grinding process. But then you only have to listen to Ron Howard talk about his projects, and you realise it's the same thing. If mm-hmm. if if you're a massive director, if you're doing Marvel movies, if you're doing all these things, they have the same problem. Their problem yeah. is the same, just magnified. Uh, in that they have big resources, but it's never quite enough. Mm. They have much more time, but actually it's still never enough. So in a way, it's like, get over those things, keep going. That's the best lesson possible. Keep going Mm. because your persistence will get you there in the end. I stumbled across a brilliant video online the other day of Gareth Edwards. Oh, yeah. Um, um, famed director of Rogue One and Godzilla and old colleague yeah. of ours. And um, it was, I, I'll, I'll actually post it on our Facebook page because it yeah, was brilliant. Yeah. I had never seen it before. And it was him giving the keynote speech at South by Southwest Festival. I'm guessing maybe five years ago, maybe when Rogue One came out, because he was doing an awful lot yeah. of Star Wars chat. So it was when Rogue One came out. And he said some brilliant, brilliant things, which makes me really all the more want to track him down and get him on this podcast. Yeah, what's he, he been doing? I mean, you know. Well, he I have been hunting him down. <laughs> Gareth, <laughs> if you're listening, or if anyone knows Gareth, please give him a nudge, because he's very he's, he's not visible on social media. He has accounts that he hasn't touched since 2017. Good for him. Um, yeah, he, he's just kind of, he's off grid a little bit. I, I had to call up Rami, uh, my DOR friend, and uh, my DOP on Old Man, because he's the last man, I think, to see him in the wild. Rami did a camera test with him in Jordan uh-huh. a bunch of years ago. And Rami had an email for him, so I, I fired him off an email, but Rami said, you know, this even when Rami met him, it was seven years ago or something. So yeah. it's probably an old email. I haven't heard back. I was reminded watching this speech. Firstly, how funny Gareth is. He's a funny fucker. Yeah. And also how brilliant he he is at analogy and metaphor and how he comes up with very acute observations about filmmaking and the industry. Mm. And then what you're saying there about you know whether you're working on big budgets or small budgets you have the same problems and he almost said exactly the same thing but what he said was and he i don't know any filmmaker that's per, is more of a illustration of that example of moving from low budget diy which he did with monsters mm. to his very next film which was a huge godzilla blockbuster yeah he said that when you move from diy independent to blockbuster you're the pros and cons for those films are exactly the same. It's just they switch sides. Uh. So, and this really rang true for me because at that time I was going through real trouble finding locations in London that I could afford to finish 
the old man. And it just felt like every door I pushed against was just locked. You know, I couldn't, I didn't have, I couldn't get access to anywhere that I could afford. Everything was too expensive. People didn't want to know me because I was an independent. I had no kind of production company behind me. But at the same time, I'm kind, I'm kind of thinking, isn't this great? I'm making this feature film. I have final cut, obviously. I have final shout on the script, who I cast. I've got complete freedom. Yet I kind of don't have freedom because I can't shoot where I want. I can't shoot for the amount of days that I want. Uh, I can't, you know, I don't have access Mm. that I would if I was a bigger budget. And if you have a big budget blockbuster, you have nothing but access. Everyone, Everyone wants to take your meeting. Everything is fine. Everyone can start today or yesterday, but you aren't making the film in the way you want to because you have a whole raft of backseat drivers in the shape of exec producers and studio heads who are telling you exactly how to drive mm. the car. So I was really interested. It kind of made me think, God, I really want us to do an interview with him and really pick that apart because it's a really, really interesting topic, that difference between low budget indie where you are in inverted commas free to do, to make the film you want to make. And then having the keys to a blockbuster where you, you have all the bells and whistles you can dream off and, you know, nothing's too much. And, uh, a, you know, all the wheels are greased, supposedly, yeah. in some way. Well, in some weird way, he's kind of uh, not, I mean, maybe I can't say he's kind of quite the KLF uh, equivalent in terms of inspiration, but because we both knew him and because yeah. he was probably a really good example of somebody who made it happen on sort of in such a DIY way. And also, it's funny, we were having our technical chat earlier. He was one of those people that really understood that you could do so much at home, you know, as in he was Mm. one of the first people to realize that um, just get to grips with the technology that's happening now. And you can skip going to huge post houses for, for, you know, the huge budgets that's expected Uh, Mm. and you can do the same thing. Uh, I think he'd be a brilliant person to have on. I think he he would be, um, I think he would be very insightful, particularly because he's, been rinsed through the system mm. uh and what's he doing now where is he what's he up to exactly so if anyone listening to this does have a, a an up-to-date contact for gareth or knows him or is a, a colleague of his do give him a nudge and say that you know we're old colleagues and we want to get him on our show and pick his little brains about stuff big brains big brains <laughs> it's big brains sorry pick his big yeah. brains about stuff so I, i'm just looking on his uh, imdb because i just mm. thought well you better sort of figure out what somebody's been doing so uh so previous uh mm. obviously the first one was a film called end day don't know what that was uh perfect that, disasters I, don't know that I th- he did a lot of tv stuff for discovery and bbc that's when he was doing the documentary stuff got it got it so essentially, um, essentially he was a the VFX guy who became, he kind of got a name for himself because he could do VFX from his bedroom. Yeah. Then he, because he was sat in edit suites with the producers, he basically went, look, if you let me direct some of these episodes, I'll do the VFX for free on the next one. It was that kind it. of deal. That's how he kind of shouldered his way in. So, but, so a lot of the stuff on the IMDb will probably be him either doing VFX or, or, or him starting to direct episodes in which he's doing VFX yeah. as well. So Monsters 2010, Godzilla 2014, Rogue One 2016. Mm. Uh, then his credits dry up a little bit after Rogue One. 
mm. which is kind of surprising. You think you get Star Wars and then everything kind of falls into place. Mm. Um, which is why I've been interested to chat with him because I remember when I heard he was doing Godzilla and I was like, how does someone who is so hands-on, because if you look at any of the behind the scenes of him making monsters, he's shooting monsters. He's, he's yeah, yeah, operating he's camera. Yeah. Uh, he is very much a filmmaker, a one-man filmmaker team. I don't. He didn't have just one man out there. He had a couple of production people and, and and technical people with him, but he was the man on the camera. I think even in Rogue One, there's some production shots of him operating Steadicam, um, you know, stabilized cameras and actually shooting some stuff. So I always wondered when he got the Godzilla gig, like how do you, how does that kind of character transfer into the big Hollywood machine? Like, does it cause trouble? Do you get frustrated? I guess we kind of need to ask him. So, Gareth, give us a shout, mate. We want to interview you. So, just just so you know, expected October sixth, twenty twenty three is the film that he's got currently in post production, which is okay. called, which is called True Love, apparently. Okay. So like, you know, where we were saying where we've, how far we've come in the last couple of years, I was amused by looking back at some of our past episodes, which I, which I did the other day in preparation for this episode. Mm. And, and there was episode three. I'm glad you've done some prep, by the way. Oh, I haven't done any prep. <laughs> Call yourself a filmmaker, question, question mark. In that, I was a bit, you know, insecure about going, oh, am I a filmmaker? And, you know, that kind of thing that a lot of indie filmmakers feel where, you know, you of course, you've got your day job and you're making films at night. And we touched upon the Robert Rodriguez thing of just get a business card printed up and put filmmaker on that you're a filmmaker. Mm. But there is that kind of um, imposter syndrome you get with all that that kind of shenanigans. But it's funny, as I looked at that, I, I did laugh because now things are completely changed, switched for me. Now I don't have the luxury of worrying about if I feel like a filmmaker or not. I'm just kind of troubled by, <laughs> you know, the, the yeah. anxiety of trying, having a feature film on the go and just basically desperately trying it for it not to fail on me and, you know, and <laughs> getting the final shoot dates booked and my every waking minute is worrying about filmmaking stuff. So there's, there's no, there's no room for me to worry about if I'm a filmmaker or not. I just am it. Yeah. Uh, and I guess it's that thing of what we said, you just got to get up and start doing it. I uh, once you start doing it, then you are it. And um, there's kind of no choice in the matter. You know, it yeah. doesn't, doesn't matter whether you think you're a filmmaker or not. You just got to worry about getting that location and paying for those casts and getting people on set and <laughs> well, all those kind of lovely problems. And of course, we've all met people who are filmmakers and they're complete wankers. So um, <laughs> there's the other question of, okay, you might be a filmmaker, but you are, you are, 
good filmmaker so that's the other thing we can <laughs> yeah. we can be really worried about well that's um, the next stage good. that's the next stage of the worry isn't it now we've yeah. got to be a good a half decent filmmaker not even a good uh, filmmaker just a kind of barely half, half decent good. yeah yeah i love that half decent filmmaker.com will be listed in the imdb profiles half decent filmmaker Something I, I noticed quite recently that um, uh, Zoetrope have been involved with. <laughs> oh, you okay? <coughs> You're expiring. Is this your final episode? <laughs> yeah, just inhaling some uh, Bombay mix. <laughs> I'll wash it down with some gin. That'll be fine. <laughs> Might get another little gin, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've been topping up. We'll leave you now with a message from our sponsors. Bombay Mix, Bombay Mix, Bombay Mix is a Mickey Mickey Mix. Bombay Mix, Bombay Mix. Bombay Mix. Bombay Mix. Bombay Mix. Bombay Mix. Bombay Bombay Mix. Topped up, and we're back. Topped up, and we're back. So, what was going to mention something that popped up recently, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, Mm. Obviously, we've just done two successful Kickstarters, and there's a lot of advantages in that. You find a community, you you kind of pitch your idea to that community, and you hope that. Uh, it resonates and and then they can directly fund you at least for some sort of segment of the the, the budget for the film. One thing that's popped up recently, which I noticed, is um, something called decentralized, which is um, yeah, you sent me a link to that. So decentralized is the brainchild of American zoetrope, obviously Francis Ford Coppola fame and i think it's roman coppola that's the primary mover in it and it's a little bit like crowdfunding but it's also a little bit like these sites like um slated or uh uh similar sites which effectively you kind of pitch your project to a kind of a community and then that community uh in some way uh invests in your idea Ah, Or there's already some kind of pot there, Mm. which from the sounds of it has come from quite big sources. So I know Steven Soderbergh, for example, uh, put some money in and then effectively projects um, on that platform. And it's all done through a kind of blockchain cryptocurrency type uh, system. You you, uh, can pitch to be on the slate of films that are being funded Mm. and and then other members of that community can kind of vote for you effectively right so it's an interesting thing because obviously most film funds are done by some sort of opaque panel somewhere and then other film funds are done by a um public body of some description and they have a sort of criteria and then there's the kickstarter world which is the crowd basically chooses projects that they like and they kind of fund. Mm. And this is some sort of hybrid, I suppose, but the people who are on the platform are kind of part of a community 
of filmmakers and how much activity they have means that they get to have more say in terms of what projects go live. Right. So it's very interesting. Um, it's all done with uh, cryptocurrency underpinning it. So people wow. may not understand what that stuff is, but basically it's kind of... Um, done i think through the ethereum blockchain so there's a certain transparency in the whole process as a result but also um the money is meant to be kind of being given away in a kind of free and fair way so right no no idea how successful it's been so far and i know it's quite recent but uh it's an interesting new model and particularly for the kind of indie filmmaker very interesting and yeah really worth looking in for indie filmmakers just other ways because it does feel like there's a middle ground that's missing currently you know mm. kickstarter between kickstarter and between the industry inverted commas it feels like there is a a middle ground that technology could open up and like you say these kind of services could open up so yeah we shall see be interested to hear if anybody's actually had any um experience with it it's very new i think it's you know a year down the line note here about um looking back on some old episodes yeah yeah let's do it thinking about your um your film as well free party mm. i was just pondering on things that have happened in the, since we've been doing the podcast that i found lovely and you know almost kind of shows how things are progressing one highlight for me was hearing your lovely voice on six music when uh, <laughs> when they got you on to do i mean that was off the back of the success of your kickstarter right the fact that suddenly the profile of your film just went dink and kind of got lifted above a certain level yeah and you were getting calls to kind of do things like that's six music show amazing really when you think about it because you know the film wasn't even finished it wasn't even kind of uh ready to be screened by anybody but the i suppose the concept of the free of a someone making a film about free parties was enough to mean that a producer from six music got in touch with me and for those of you outside the uk six music's probably the the coolest bbc mm. radio station it's very much a musos kind of yeah. station and you know a lot of the presenters on there are old djs and musicians themselves and yeah, it's a good, it's a good, good sort of mix of old and new music, and young people listen to it as much as old people listen to it. From the, yeah. I, from what I can gather, at least, and um, yeah, it was a, it was just this brilliant experience. Of um, was it quite a surreal experience to be talking about your film that doesn't didn't even exist in much yeah. shape at the time? Yeah, I mean, I mean, again, I think it was kind of all in lockdown, wasn't it? So it was slightly mm. odd thing of basically doing a radio show like we are now over Zoom, talking about a film that what that didn't exist yet. Joining me to help me tell the story of the free party movement this week is DJ, producer, and filmmaker behind the forthcoming documentary, Free Party, A Folk History, Aaron Trinder. And before we get into this topic, set the scene for us with some music from the early days of this scene. Oh, well, uh, I think my first choice on the tune front is The Beloved Sun Rising, partly because somehow it connects those... Uh, you know, you go from being somebody who's just invented this thing in your living room, your, your bedroom, in your, in your brain, 
to being uh, a kind of an expert in people's yeah. eyes, to being a kind of an aficionado, you know, to being somebody who should curate a whole night's music on mainstream radio. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and it was, you know, so amazing to hear all the responses because obviously I chose all the tracks that were, I was hoping it would be in the soundtrack and, you know, I knew would really respond to and people would, take them back in time to those moments back in the early nineties. And, uh, and it did that. And it, and it, and again, it elevated the project from this thing that I'd been doing at home on my computer in my brain, um, to, uh, something that people felt was real and it was on the radio and it was, I don't know how many people listened to that radio. Let's say a hundred thousand people listened to it. I mean, mm. That's just mind-boggling, you know. Up yeah. to this point, there's been a few thousand people on Facebook that have known about it, and my friends and family, and suddenly there's over 100. I mean, I, it's a, I'm speculating, but suddenly there's not only 100,000 people going, oh, wow, there's this film about the free parties, which sounds brilliant. They're dancing around to the radio, and it's my voice. <laughs> yes. Going, you know, oh, I love this track because of this. No, you know, a, a week before... Nobody knew the hell who I was, you know, it's just this amazing. The reality of it was the process, the production to get that radio show out was not really that different from what we do. Mm. Actually, when I'm, when I'm absolutely honest, you know, we have our chat over Zoom, but hopefully mm -hmm. in the shed soon. Yeah. We have a few, we have a few drinks. I send you the little clips and you kind of do the edit and you put the music that yeah. you've made and I've made and Oz has made, our friend Oz has made yeah. together and you output it. Same thing for this radio show that a hundred odd thousand people listen to. And and in some ways it was a great DIY lesson is in this stuff is just doable. You just got to have the yeah. ideas. You've got to have the, um, some technical skills, but then you've got to get it out there. And that's the bit. This is what I think we'll, we'll keep discovering as we get to the latter stages of our film that this is the bit that you know the bbc has a huge audience they have an audience they have a yeah. platform that's the key isn't it is in you can have we can, we've got the means of production now it's the age old um uh the age old uh marxist treaty which is mm. you know the workers should capture the means of production. Well, we have that now, but the means of distribution, well, that is a whole other story. Wait. Wait for it. Wait a minute. There's the whole. What do you reckon's the future for DIY cinema cult? I either that or I, either that or wait to see us in the next 30 more episodes. 30 more episodes. What a thought projecting that far into the future. Well, <laughs> I guess it that really depends on our futures because really the podcast is um is me and you discussing what, what we've been going through. Uh you know, professionally, creatively, uh, a little bit personally as well. So I guess it depends, first of all, how the films go this year. Hope mine is out and I hope yours is finished. Um, I think we'll and, have two, by the end, by this time next year, two completed films, yeah, do yeah. you think? Yeah, yeah, Good, yeah. yeah. Um, 
I mean, I, God, I hope my one's done. <laughs> I don't think I can go into the fifth year thinking there's going to be another year. Um, I definitely am keen to move on now. Not that I don't love it, but, you know, you can you can see your life drifting away as well as yeah. the... Uh, you, you need to be on to the next thing. It, it creates the, the sort of drive, you know, in some way. Yeah. Um, but I think certainly we are going to have, I hope, a film out in the world fully and a fi- another film finished. I hope you're on to our next projects. That's what I hope. Uh, and hey, you know, routine's still there, mate. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Like we kind of started with Routine was the film. And then, you know, as I was listening back to a couple of our old episodes, it was just funny the way the shift happened. Like Routine was there as the main focus. But really early on, though, I think it was the second episode, Free Party was mentioned. You mentioned Free Party. Right. Because I think there was a bit of a gap between our first and second episode. And you were like, no, no, well, I've started, you know, I've been... I've done a couple of interviews on this project I'm working on. So that was there from the very, very beginning. But then the attention shifted to, remember I did that script called Stutter and we were going to make a film for 10 grand we were going to attempt to. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah, wow. So then that was the thing. And then we went back to the old man for me. So yeah, it's just funny the way way we've come along. It's setting ourselves on one path and seeing what happens, Mm. you know. And, 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 you know, you have to have the knowledge that you know, you set you, you set yourself for the X and you're not going to get to the X, but you're going to end up somewhere else. Mm. Interesting. I'll be brutally honest. I'm going to be brutally honest with you. Please, Because please. I think you two need yeah, it. Yeah, we do. Okay? We need it. You, nobody's going to give you that money. Yeah. You're sitting there talking. Let me tell you, fuck, let me have a fucking rant about this. <laughs> you don't know who the fuck you are. Yeah. It's a complete risk. Yeah. You are unknown. If you two want to genuinely make a film, genuinely, and not just talk about it, you have to do it yourself. Yep. Yeah. That's your first film. And you have to get yourself out there. Um, I mean, whereabouts do you feel your film? Have you got any idea beyond just get the shoot done? Have you started to kind of plan anything yeah. beyond that? Yeah, so we've got, I've got an editor on board. So we're going to start cutting in January before we even start the, the next shoots. So we're going to be cutting while we're shooting. It's been funny, actually, because it's been an interesting experience of, and I've been actually very thankful of it in the end the fact that we've had to split our shoot up was a budgetary Mm. thing we didn't have the money to shoot it all in one go but actually i'm still i'm still writing scenes i'm still editing scenes Mm. based on the stuff that we shot before constantly updating the script um changing it based on things that have happened in the shoot and i can now go oh maybe it might be funnier if because of what happened on the day, we can put this line in here and it might make sense of this. So actually, it's a, it's a much more of a continuous writing, editing. Organic. Yeah. Mm. And funny enough, it's very close to what, going back to that Gareth Edwards interview, he said Star Wars was like in the fact that the writing, that you, you don't finish the script and then start the shooting and then finish the shooting and start the editing. There's writing going on in the editing process it's still continual and they're going, can we make this better? Now we've cut that. Can we go back and write a scene and put this in? It's because there's the budget there in place. Mm. My reasons weren't because I had too much budget. My reasons because I had no budget, (laughs) but it's a similar experience in the fact that it's not a pre-production, production, production, post-production experience. It's a 
very rolling. We're doing a bit of pre-production now. Now we're doing a bit of post-production. Now we're doing a bit of production. And now we're going to go back and write some script. Yeah, I And know. it kind of works and it's really helpful for the story. And it makes, it kind of builds in reality into the script that maybe would not have been there if I wrote the script, drew together enough budget to shoot for a week and a half or two weeks and then shot everything then and then cut it. Mm. There's things that we can learn from and use in the later shooting, um, in the later shoots. So, yeah, it's been kind of an interesting um, production experience. You always hear people say the best way to learn how to make films is to make films. Mm. And I always kind of I was all like, yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. But I, until I had started making a feature film, I didn't really realize how true that was. Short films and like my short documentaries were one thing, but actual feature films, having a long haul, tell this long form narrative, have all these characters in play and trying to yeah. struggle with the budget and locations. It's the biggest film school there is. It's the old cliche, but it is. It's true. Yeah. It's absolutely true. Well, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing the locations and the cast and all the rest of it for the next yeah. batch. <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, and, you know, this the, the strange thing as well. It will be nearly a year since the first batch of, of shooting. Yes, right? so it's, it's almost a year. It's almost a year. But, but with the um, magic of cinema and the odd like beard being shaved and the odd bit of uh, touch up, nobody will ever know. Well, well hope, I'm, hopefully I mean, nobody's lost an ear or uh, an uh, eye. Yeah, yeah, hopefully not. I mean, Rich, uh, one of our main actors, is going to Australia for Christmas, which I am a bit concerned about. We might have to kind of it's explain some nice It's going to come back full, full bronze, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, great. Okay, just don't go in the... Enjoy Australia, but just don't go outside or in the sun in any way. Yeah, and then, uh... yeah, yeah. I'm sure you haven't quite got the budget to tell him not to have no. a holiday for, the, for a whole month, though. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. well, with the magic of cinema and with, uh, you know, Da Vinci's Resolve's face tracking. <laughs> All right, then, listeners, we love you. Love you, listeners. Thank we, you very we love, much. We, we love all our cult members. We, we we love you dearly. We you know that you are in the only truly benevolent cult there is. <laughs> we love you for being such an integral part of this cult during these um thirty uh, episodes. Thirty episodes. I mean, that's worth celebrating. So <laughs> in your own sheds, uh and in your own living rooms the world over, in front of your own laptops, feel free to celebrate. Tanqueray Gin are not sponsoring this episode, but it's probably a good start. So perhaps a little tipple. Uh, and uh, uh, good luck to you for 2023. 23. 23. 23. Oh, yes. We'll see you guys on the flip side of the perineum, um, which just sounds a bit weird. But uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll see you then. And Gareth Edwards, get in contact. We want to Gareth, you Gareth, come on, please. Come on, get, get in touch. <laughs> come on, mate. Stop hiding. <laughs> True love sounds really good. We'll talk to you about your film. Follow us on Twitter at DIY Cinema Cult or on Instagram. We are DIY underscore cinema underscore cult. cult, 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 cult. Seek out the DIY Cinema Cult group on Facebook and don't forget to press those like and subscribe buttons and follow, follow us. us.